So we left off, we got through the, really the first three verses last week. So I'm not going to, really not really going to go back over them. Um, but one of the things I did not bring up last week, which I thought was, because I didn't have my notes, I don't think, I, which I don't know that I always use, but this is what is called an imprecatory psalm. This is the first of an imprecatory psalm. I have my own, my own uh, definition of an imprecatory psalm. Um, basically, the imprecatory psalm is the one who is praying the prayer has been persecuted, uh, been threatened, whatever, under... under duress and it's not just insulted but he's that usually is David he's under some duress it is believed that this might have been another psalm that David wrote before they defeated Absalom and he took back the kingdom but we don't know that for sure so um, but an imprecatory psalm is what I usually like to refer to as break their teeth God type of psalms. So he's, uh, he's really, you know, he's putting it out there. What am I looking for? Oh, right here. Um, sorry. So he's putting it out. He's really putting it out there. But notice in verse 4. The language, God, you don't take pleasure, right? At least that's what the New American Standard says. And the New King James says, God who does not take pleasure, or takes, uh, not a God who takes pleasure. They, they just shape it a little bit differently. Nor shall evil dwell with you, right? Evil, no pleasure, evil won't dwell with you. And then five is the boastful will not, not stand and you hate all who injustice. And then it gets even more severe in verse six. You destroy those who speak lies and the Lord loathes or abhors. Um, I think verse six is, does it say abhor? Yeah, the Lord abhors the uh, bloodthirsty and deceitful man. It's progressively more severe. progressively more severe in his prayer. Um, now, is David speaking truth here? Speaking truth. Thank you, uh, Brian. And then the one just to the, thank you, Brian. Um, I think he is. But how do you balance that? Can you balance that? Or even should we balance that with what Peter says when he said it's not right that, or uh, it is not God's will that any should perish but all should come to repentance? (laughs) 
He's saying he doesn't like what they're doing, and he's also saying that God doesn't like it either. Right? Okay? He's not keeping them from repentance. You're right. Although, I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts they're in no place really to repent. Right? Is it possible... that he's speaking of their eventual final state. If they do not repent. Yeah, if, New American Standard says destroy those who speak lies. And what was the last part of that in the NIV? Last part of that verse? The Lord abhors. Right. Um, so he's, he's using some pretty severe language. Um, and I think he's talking about their eventual state, if in fact they don't repent. Um, I shouldn't go here, but I'm going to just for fun. Do you think, you know, David was not a guy to mess with. All right, he wasn't. I mean, he, if you've read the stories of, of his work even as a essentially like a soldier of fortune which is what he was um, you did not want to be on the losing side when you were facing David he was pretty fierce and um, while he is speaking truth this is this gets sticky here I think Brian's going to, I'm going to get Brian in on this one. While he is speaking truth, and I think he is, all right, is he conveying the heart of God? And in our prayers, do we always convey the heart of God? So let's let him off the hook. If you want to say yes, let's also let him off the hook a little bit because he's probably in, under a lot of stress when he's writing this. Have you ever prayed anything that you wish you hadn't? You know the old saying, be careful what you pray for because you might get it. Right? I, I knew, had a pastor once, and he, he and this wasn't a ritual thing. I th it, it, he was genuinely sincere about this. He would end most of his prayers with God. If I prayed anything that's outside of your will, just ignore it. As if God would. And I think what he was really saying is, God, I'm an imperfect person. Don't hold this against me. Do not charge this to my account, to use a biblical term. I think that's part of what he was saying. If I'm praying outside your will, God, just ignore it. You know? But he's talking to the God who knows everything, right? So David, in talking 
to the God who knows everything. And I know that, well, it's my strong belief that David knows this about God. Is there any harm, so to speak? Maybe that's not the right way to question it, but I'm going to let it sit there. With praying these, he's praying his feelings. And he's drawing on biblical truth, but he's, he's almost like he's got his big Bible thumper Bible out and he's hammering them with them. He's hammering them with it. I know that you're this way, God, and you're going to get them. Because then he goes, you know, in verse 6, he starts, no, sorry, 7, but ask for me. There's a huge pivot in this prayer. And he thought, I think that's part of it, yeah. I, I, it, and, yeah, okay, so I think part of it, he's setting himself up to be on the right side of God. Now, Psalm 15. And I, I didn't want to use a psalm to teach on a psalm, but I'm going to use a psalm to teach on a psalm. It's also a psalm of David. We will probably cover this again in 10 weeks. And he asked the question, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? All right? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Now, verse 7 of chapter 5, because I have two Bibles, I can, read, I can read them both to you. But as for me, your abundant graciousness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence to you. But he's asking the question in Psalm 15, who may dwell in your holy hill? And he begins to answer that, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness. And speaks the truth in his heart. Yeah, this is really good. We're just going to gloss it. But so in 10 weeks, we'll look at it again. But he who does not, okay, so here's the ones who, these are the negatives. These are the things you don't do. And those who do them don't dwell on the holy hill. Does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up an approach against a friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. All right? Uh, it's really a short psalm. Uh, we might be able to get through it in one week, but there's a lot there. So he's giving a contrast of who can dwell in his holy hill. And then another, another verse I, I, I want to show you in the psalms, Psalms 24. Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. It says, for your loving kindness, which is the Hebrew word hased, that un, unending love is before my eyes. I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals. Now, was David ever an idolater? An idolater. One who worshipped idols. Don't see it in the Bible. All right? Nor will I go with the hypocrites. Okay, one out of two is not bad, okay? All right. I have hated the assembly of the evildoers. Yes, he did. And I will not sit with the wicked. For the most part, no, he did not. I will wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord. I will wash my hands in innocence. 
What is he saying? That he went and washed his hands? Or is he speaking metaphorically? I think. I did. Just because I read Psalm 26 doesn't mean anything about that. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, and I was like, I'm reading this going, okay, I think I'm right, but this doesn't seem compl- Okay, I'm back. <laughs> Thank you. Like he's lo- okay, Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Okay, we're all on the same page now. Okay. Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and the righteousness of from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Selah. So he gives this list. Okay, clean hands, pure hearts. Old Testament, New Testament. How do you get clean hands, pure hearts? I, I, kind of sem- I started to answer it until <laughs> in the chapter that we won't, Psalm that we weren't supposed to be in. Where he talks about, it's interesting how they're almost the same. There's some similarities there. In the Old Testament, how do they get clean hands, pure hearts? I don't know either. Psalm 51. We'll answer it, okay? Brian, will you? It is possible. At least there is a portion of him, all right? We, we, we subdivide all the time. Yeah. But let, let me further answer that. Because Psalm 51, in asking the question out of Psalm 24, you following me? Clean, who has clean hands, pure hearts? And, and this, this is something that I, I really probably need to spend a considerable amount of time looking at. Um, Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So in the sacrifice of his heart, his broken spirit, his broken and contrite heart. It says God would not despise that. And he's really, when he says, okay, my sacrifice to you, God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. What is he saying? He's saying repentance. That's what he's saying. Because if you have read Torah carefully, if you committed adultery, what was supposed to happen to you? You were supposed to be put to death. If you murdered someone, what was supposed to happen to you? You were supposed to be put to death. There wasn't, 
And so this, that's the thing. And the, the thing is, is and I'm still thinking about what you said, Brian, because, yeah, the sacrificial system was given as a means for them to, to, to not only have a relationship with God, but to maintain a relationship with God. And how does that fit in with what David is saying here? But, but David is spot on here. This is New Testament theology a thousand years before the New Testament began to be even written. And so, what, what I came up with, Harv, again, kind of going back to, to what you were saying. Um, because if prayer is essentially... One picture of prayer is essentially Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord at the river Jabbok. It's in the book of Genesis where he wrestles with God all night long. And he says to the Lord, oh, the Lord says, you got to let me go. The sun's coming up. I will not let you go until what? Until you bless me. And so there was this pursuance what happened? How did, how did the angel of the Lord bless Jacob? He touched him in the hip and his, his, his joint went out of, out, of, out of place. And he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. That sound like a blessing? But it reminded him, I think, every time he took a step of the fact that he prevailed on the prophets. And I, I, again, this, I had me look at the notes. One of the prophets said that he, he, he prevailed. But he prevailed not by being the, st- <coughs> being the stronger. But he prevailed by surrender. Is what he did. So. What I find interesting here, um, I probably had a really good thought, and I thought I typed it, and now I can't find it. Um, that's what happens when I don't use my nose. But I found it. Because I, as I thought about this psalm, as I thought about Psalm 15, as I didn't think about Psalm 26, but I did think about Psalm 24. Again, thanks, Bonnie. And I didn't even consider Psalm 51 until just now. Uh, David's refuge is in God's integrity. And nothing else will do. Nothing else will work. David's refuge is not even... Obviously not within his own righteousness because for, and he's claiming righteousness, righteousness in some of these other songs, but he's, it's the righteousness that has been given to him. Just like for us as Christians, we have the righteousness of Christ that has been given to us when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior. But his refuge is in God's integrity. And in God's forgiveness. Um, And so another way to look at this in part, verses 4, 5, and 6. 
is not only is he telling God what God does to sinners and it becomes increasingly more severe. But he's also recounting to God the integrity of God. Because, and I I, I didn't want to take the time to do it, but I could have taken those, these three verses and gone back into, the, even particularly in Torah, and, and showed time after time where, where God declares these things. Uh, but he knew that the sacrifices to God was a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart he will not despise. So, It's not a, I'm better than you are. Oh, there, there could have been a slight element of that there. I don't know. I, again, people are complex. Even people who don't think they are complex, they're probably more complex because they don't think they are. Um, and it's amazing to me how gracious God is to each and every one of us and how patient he is in, even in the process of this prayer, it's a separating of the wheat from the chaff. Because you can look at the beginning of verse 7 when he says, but as for me, that's now all of a sudden the separation of the chaff from, from the wheat. Um, so, He goes on to say, but as for me, we might even get done with the psalm tonight, even early. That would be different. Um, By your abundant graciousness, but as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. Interesting how the, the New American Standard phrases it, but as for me, by your abundant graciousness, I will enter your house. What does the NIV say in verse 7? Okay, so by your great mercy. ESV says what? Huh. Yeah, it doesn't, it, there's no reference to the mercy or graciousness of God in that verse in the ESV, is there? Anybody else have a different version? which means he's normal. Um, I think his confidence in God, too, was that because he was delivered so many times. Also, in his time, um, not everybody gets anointed as king, for starters. And then he's on the run for years and years before he's able to actually take the throne and see that fulfilled, which is huge. But even then, this idea of God making a covenant with him. And by virtue of making a covenant with him, God made a covenant with all of us, all who believe, of 
the Messiah who will sit on his throne in 2 Samuel 7. And the Messiah who will sit on his throne forever. And so it's really, it's a, uh, to me, that's a covenant that extends into what's called the eternal state. Or the lion and the bear before that. I wonder, and I'm going to speculate here because that's the best I can do, but I think those are important things that you brought out. Because I wonder if God did not whisper parts of that vision into his heart while he was very young. Because it also sounds like when he was taking care of dad's sheep that he didn't waste all the time on the sheep. He was out there by himself, apparently, or maybe just with a few others, but he spent a lot of time in communion with God. Um, I wonder, I'm wondering, if his time taking care of the sheep was not similar to uh, what Paul talks about in his own life. And he talks about this in the book of Galatians where it's believed that Paul went into Arabia for about three years and that the Lord taught him um, whether it was a person-to-person thing or what, I, I don't know. Um, and, I, you know, I think a lot of people believe it was person-to-person, but... Um, Paul had some very special time. And this was after he left, uh, if I remember the history right, after he left Damascus and he was let down uh, over the wall in Damascus uh, in a basket, goes to Arabia, and then he comes back to um, Jerusalem. And he creates such a ruckus, they get him out of town. And then he goes, he's gone for several years, and I, in probably Tarsus, and I wonder if what was taking place during the, that season of silence in his life, there was probably a, a lot of what, how God continued to teach him. Um, and again, you, you see this with David because, again, going back to Psalm 51, he is so ahead of his time. Really, in my opinion, Psalm 51 is so, it, it, it could be a New Testament psalm. Um, and a New Testament story. So um, there is that confidence, but it, his confidence was, okay, this is the same guy who pretended like he was insane and, sl- and let, let, let his saliva run over his mouth like he was a crazy guy, letting his fingernails grow long, and he's scratching on the door of those uncircumcised Philistines, one of whom he had killed previously in his life. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, he, he, lived a, he lived a complex life, but he was also designated, uh, identified as a man after God's own heart. And what, did that, what does that really say about him? And what does that say about his day-to-day life? Um, you know, he didn't... 
He didn't wake up one day and become a super saint. But it was day in, day out, a little here, a little there, uh, line upon line, precept upon precept. And um, so he's, he's confident. He says, Lord, lead me in your righteousness. So he understands where the righteous, his righteousness comes from. Lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Uh, so he is confident, at least in this psalm, that he's on God's team. And because of the righteousness of God, lead me because of your enemies or my enemies and make your way straight before me. Not make my way straight, but make your way straight before me. which I find fascinating, especially like I'm going across the desert. Now, in a motorcycle, is different, but in a car, I'm going across the desert. Um, isn't there something inviting, tempting, and I'm going to leave it at that when you see that really straight open road in front of you? <laughs> Everybody's in denial. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you stop and take a picture. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, we almost get airborne. Yeah. Uh, yes. Parabossum Highway, take your Mustang on it, Ken. Yeah. But, uh, so, Make, make your way straight before me. Because, uh, not, not, there's a lot there in that saying, if you think about it. Because sometimes God's ways do not appear straight, do they? Example, have you ever been into a situation where you feel God leads you into something only to find out that he only le led you there to really show something else to you to bring you somewhere else? And so, what I think he's asking for is clarity. And again, because of its enemies, and by the way, this could be read a couple of different ways. Lord, lead me in your righteousness, period. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Period. So, actually like that reading better. I think that makes more sense. Um, a lot of the English translations combine, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Um, which, if that's where you want to go, um, that's fine. Um, have fun with that. Um, The, um, interesting that in the Septuagint, that verse 8 becomes verse 9 in the Septuagint. Or at least, the, it, and it says, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make my way straight before you. So, they kind of put those two, those two phrases together. 
Um, and the, the Septuagint will do that in the Psalms. And eventually we're not even going to be on the same Psalm. It'll be one, some of them are subdivided in the Septuagint. Um, but there's the, it's the, connect, the call, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a very, very strong prayer. Asking God to, to guide him, uh, to protect him, uh, and, and in the process, help him along the way in the steps that he's supposed to take. So, um, and then it says, for there is nothing trustworthy in their mouth. The uh, New King James says it differently. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward destruction, excuse me, their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. And they flatter with their tongue. So, I wonder if he was thinking of Ahithophel. Remember who Ahithophel was. Ahithophel was his faithful counselor that when Absalom overthrew David, Ahithophel, who I believe was the uncle of Bathsheba, by the way, Ahithophel sided with Absalom instead of David. Um, and David prayed that God would turn his counsel to nothing, if you remember. We looked at that several weeks ago. Um, so the throat and the tongue are basically metaphors for speech. So it's talking about that which they say, that which they are, they are speaking. Um, but it says that their inward part is destruction. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? It's almost as if God doesn't have to do anything to them. They're hurting their own self. But it also, I believe, is probably a description of the natural state of man or humanity. Again, I'll defer to 1 Corinthians where it tells us that the natural man cannot understand these things because they are foolishness to him. And so David may be looking at the situation with these who are against him and seeing whatever it is that they're doing, but we don't know what it is, right? And he's saying, look, they're, they're, they're inward. Uh, they're, uh, their inward part is destruction. Um, and out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. That's what Jesus said. It's not in the Psalms. Uh, and so that's, he's connecting the two here. Uh, their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. The tongue and the throat, again, are metaphors for speech. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Again, here's, here, again theologically, David is so far ahead of his time. Just as he, he's making these observations... And, and yes, he's talking about 
the natural state of man, but I think he's also using that. Uh, uh, he's aware of specific examples uh, that he would be able to say, well, Ahithophel said this, this, and this, and he's counseling Absalom. Um, and it, it was interesting in, in that narrative where um, Absalom does not take the advice of Ahithophel, and Ahithophel knows it's now a lost cause, and he goes home and hangs himself. Um, so then he goes on to say, make them pay, God. Have them fall by their own schemes. Scatter them in the multitude of their wrongdoings, for they are rebellious against you. Now, whose enemies are these? They're David's. But they are also enemies of, of God. Now, he's, if you notice, now he's getting his confidence back. Right? Because remember when he leaves Jerusalem, he, he basically paraphrasing, of course, but he, he's basically saying maybe, you know, and that's why he didn't, they didn't put Shimei to death when Shimei went out and cursed him. Because he said, essentially, maybe God is through with me. But now he's starting to get his, his confidence back, you know, because... Boy, we take this all the way back in the morning, verse 3. In the morning, I'll present my prayer to you and be on the watch. Well, he's been watching. He's been watching now. And it's, it's, he's petitioned, he's laid out the situation before God. And, and I, I have to think that not only is he getting his confidence back, but he's getting his confidence back because he's starting to, to sense that God is, in fact, going to um, move on his behalf. There's nothing better than confidence in God. And, oh, I, I, I don't know if I ever, I think I've shared this with you guys. When we moved here, our realtor was throwing a fit, the one here, because we put a contingency on a house that we now live in, right? We don't do that here. Well, where I'm from, we do, so we're doing it here too, right? And so they were, she was kind of mad. They wrote the offer anyway. We came home and called the realtor, put the house on the market. And... Then someone came in with an offer on the house, right? So we had to remove the contingency, which I didn't want to do. And so I prayed, God, sell the house this weekend. This is Thursday, I think. Sell the house this weekend, and if not, we're not going to buy that house, and I'm going to think very seriously about whether we're even supposed to come here to begin with. And we had two appointments two listings on a Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon. And uh, so we got one offer Saturday midday, and the afternoon they came and they looked, and they were ready to throw an offer in if we refused the other one, right? And so I didn't like the offer we got. <laughs> so I countered, and I, I, I played hardball. 
And, but I was really confident. All right, it, and I am, man. I'm feeling my spiritual love. So I'm, all right, God, I'm, I'm going to counter, and this is what I want. And I don't think I was being unreasonable. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't asking for the farm and the truck, right? And so I, we countered, and we had an acceptance by Saturday afternoon. Called the realtor here and says, okay, remove the contingency. We're going for it. And... Uh, there was just this sense of, I think God is opening this door. So, I want God to let me walk through it as, in a way that's going to honor him and please him, but in a way that, you know, um, make them pay God, right? Have them fall by their own schemes. So he's getting confident, and he's also asking them to fall by their own devices, which is essentially Absalom did, didn't he? Because what was Absalom proud of more than anything else? He was a hippie in the 60s, right? That was a hint. His hair. And remember, he'd cut his hair once a year and then weigh it. Um, and... He died because his hair got snagged on a tree, and then I think it was Joab came and killed him. Threw you know spear through him, and then they they killed him. Um, but rejoice, all who take refuge uh, in you, sing for joy forever, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may rejoice. Verse eleven and twelve: For you bless the righteous person, God. You surround him with favor as with a shield. So 11 and 12 is a celebration. And it's a recognition that God surrounds us with a shield. A shield is, is a symbolic of what? His righteousness. Notice it says you bless the, the righteous person. We are made righteous in Christ. Um, And so all of us who take refuge in him, we can rejoice and sing for joy forever. And that he throws in the quick petition that you may shelter them, that, uh, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. So there's this recognition, while it has not happened yet, at least I don't think it has, when he's writing this, there's this recognition of, this is going to turn out okay. I don't think that David is necessarily seeing that completely come to an end yet, but I think as he's gone through this prayer, particularly in the honesty, I think that he really portrayed, including what might have been him tooting his own horn some, um, he ends his prayer with the recognition that we are in a place where we can rejoice under the shelter of God's provision of his care uh, forever. So there's, there's, there's a lot of wrestling in this prayer. If you, if you look at this and read it and read it and reread it, um, a lot of wrestling, a lot of back and forth. Um, but... He doesn't get to verse 11 and 12 
without first going through verses 4 through 6. Because what I love about David um, is his realness, his genuineness. Basically, what, what you saw, for the most part, again, he did have some lapses, of course, but what you saw was what you got. And, and he, he was that way before men. He was that way before the Lord. Depends on how you look at that all, uh, and it depends on what the ESV says that. Um, it, New King James says, but let all those who rejoice who put their trust in you. So it is a qualification. What, what does the ESV say in verse 11 on that first line? Okay. Okay. So there is a qualifier. There is a qualifier, um, those who seek refuge in him. Because he also said in verse, and I'm reading out the New American Standard, verse 9, for there is nothing trustworthy in their mouth, and their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. So he is making this distinction. And I want to say, and this is purely speculative. I want to say that maybe he's not too terribly concerned about their salvation. It doesn't read that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's exactly what he's what he's saying. And because he is trusting, and didn't have full understanding, I don't believe, but he is trusting in the finished work of Christ. That's what he's trusting in. Um, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. He's trusting in Jesus. Um, he's trusting in the one to 